Celebrating female role models across the community, live from Marta Christie College in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Live at Marta. Welcome everyone, live from Mar Christie College in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Live at Marta. My name is Lexi and my co-hosts today are Amy, Divya and Alicia and our special guest today is Lyndall. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, welcome to the show. What I'm most curious about is what inspired you to become a lawyer and what type of lawyer you are. Okay. I initially um, didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a police officer, but they had height restrictions back then in the Victorian <laughs> police force and I was way too short. And uh, becoming a lawyer sort of evolved a little bit over time. I ended up joining the Australian Federal Police in their undergraduate program and pulled out of that and went to work for a number of law firms over a period of time, settling at Morris Blackburn for eight years and getting promoted through the ranks there. And one day the managing partner just came to me and said, hey, look, you're doing the work of a third, fourth year lawyer. Uh, this can't continue unless you take up study. So they encouraged me and supported me in going and studying. Was that rare to find in that industry, especially for being a woman in that industry? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, a lot of firms really do encourage support staff to go on and study and continue to study. Um, particularly, I work in family law. So the practitioners in that area are probably a bit more aware of family and the like. So whether you're f being female, there's no impediment. And in fact, family law is probably dominated by females these days. And so no, they're very supportive of, of support staff going in and studying part-time, um, of having time off for exams. They view it as an asset to their firm going forward. And they're certainly very encouraging and supportive of it. Um, I'm Alicia. I was just wondering, did you have any role models like throughout your journey, throughout like being a lawyer, was there anyone that you looked up to or anything? Yeah, yep. There was um, certainly a lot of people I met along the way, um, female and male. When I went to Morris Blackburn, I was given the opportunity to go to court and observe what goes on. Until then, my litmus test for court was really watching um, a show that none of you will be familiar, which was called Carson's Law. And in that, that was a show in the mid-80s. And in that, Lorraine Bailey played a female barrister in the 1920s. And she was the only female barrister at the bar um, at that time. And so that was, the only, that was the only idea I've had of what court was really like. Yeah. And Morris Blackburn gave me the opportunity to go to court and experience it firsthand. And I instantly fell in love. It is an addiction. It is a bit of an adrenaline rush. And so you do become addicted to court. Absolutely. Was it intimidating the first time you went into a courtroom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And probably because I wasn't qualified as a lawyer, I was probably really self-conscious that people would pick that, that I was, a, you know, a, a paralegal. Um, but they didn't. And even today, um, you know, I've, I've run that many trials. I've been a barrister for 18 years now. And... I've run so many trials and had run so many shorter matters in court, um, but there's still every now and then a case that comes along where I feel like I want to vomit on my shoes before I walk into court and whilst I'm in court. Yeah, a bit intimidating sometimes. Yeah, the full court of appeal was definitely one of my most intimidating times. 
Um, you've got, um, you know, the, the best of the best sitting there, listening to every word you say and asking you questions. And at that, that stage, the first time I appeared in the full court of appeal, um, it's probably fair to say that most of the judges were white, privileged males. Yeah. Um, that was intimidating. Sorry. Um, so I'm Divya and I'm just wondering, so like if you ever get like nervous before like a trial or something, like how do you usually like deal with that? Uh, <laughs> how do you deal with that? It's really important to have good co-workers. Um, and at the bar, even though we're meant to be working as individuals, because um, we're not meant to have an alignment to anyone, um, we still do have... Um, the way it's structured, we have chambers in town mm. and then you have a floor. And so the floor I'm on um, in the chambers there are predominantly family law practitioners. And so it's really important to be surrounded by peers so that you can go and vent yeah. and run things past them. Yeah. Like often before court, I think clients would be quite mortified if they were in chambers of, before court and hear us all shouting in the hallways yeah. and saying, hey, what do you think about this? I've got this today. This is what I'm thinking. And then someone might go, no, no, you're barking up the wrong tree. Try this or try that. Mm. We all bounce ideas off each other. Mm. And when we come back from court, we have a rule of thumb. If someone comes into your chambers and says, I need a drink <laughs> or I need to talk, you stop what you're doing yeah. and you give them that time because it's really important to be able to vent in that environment so that you don't carry it home. Because mm. what we deal with is people at their most tra most traumatised. Mm, yeah. And we deal and see some horrific things mm. and it's really important to be able to dump that at work with people who get it. Mm, yeah. And rather than, than carrying it home. Mm, definitely. Is there like a way that you can like, like say, for example, if you like see something in court that you can like, in, like say if you can't like go to someone else, like is there a way that you like deal with that? Not really. You just have to learn to compartmentalise. Yeah. And it is something you learn over time. Mm. You've got to learn to be able to step back and say, okay, whilst this is horrific what's happened to my client or it's horrific what is happening, mm. it's not my family mm. and you need to be able to compartmentalise and keep that distance between you and the client because mm. if you took on every client's problem, you'd have a mental breakdown very quickly. Yeah. You just wouldn't cope. Yeah. Um, what type of things do you see in family court or what is family court? Okay, family court, family law is people arguing um, obviously a breakdown of a relationship, whether it's a marriage or de facto. It's dealing with um, uh, what used to be called custody. It's now called live with live with and time with arguments, so who children will live with, what that looks like, whether one parent or both parents sometimes um, um, poses an unacceptable risk to the children. And we argue over property, we argue over lawnmowers, we argue over companies. Um, we've got um, arguments with domestic violence. That's a, a big, big factor, um, allegations of domestic violence. And uh, we deal with a lot of mental health issues and substance issues. Yeah. What would you say would be the biggest challenge in that area of law? Telling people what they don't want to hear. Yeah. People come along and say, oh, I spoke to Jenny at the school gate and this is what she got. And this is what happened. And so why aren't I getting that? And you go say, well, you're not getting that because of X, Y and Z. Um, 
it's really hard because sometimes you'll have a situation where there is an allegation of domestic violence and they, you know, they automatically think then, oh, well, the perpetrator shouldn't have any relationship with the children. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, it's unfortunate that to the client that the incident that has occurred or the incidences that have occurred are a big deal to them. But on the scale of what we see, it's not that high on the scale. And so that isn't enough to preclude children from having a relationship with the other parent. Yep. It's just a matter of what that relationship looks like. We have available to us a number of options such as supervised time by professional supervisors that negates risk, things like that. So it's telling people what they don't want to hear and managing their expectations. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to any young person wanting to become a lawyer? Any tips, tricks or just any general advice? Be resilient. You have to be um, very resilient. Um, if you're going to cry because someone looks at you the wrong way or criticises you for something, you won't survive. You have to be able to take initiative. You have to be resilient. You have to be able to call people out on poor behaviour and not be intimidated. Yeah. Um, what type of changes have you seen in the industry as years go by? Have you seen more women getting into higher roles? Yeah, definitely. When I first started... I'm just trying to think. I think we in Melbourne had one female judge. Now we've got predominantly female judges. So definitely women are being promoted. Whilst we have a male um, chief at the moment, um, we have um, Chief Justice Elstron. Prior to that, we had a female um, as our chief for about 12 years. Certainly there's more women in our industry uh, taking silk, which is um, becoming a QC or an SC. And... Certainly the more senior solicitors we're seeing are, are female as well. Yep. It's a very um, female-dominated area now, but that's just in terms of the workforce. But in terms of development in family law, we are seeing a far greater understanding and a lot more education about the impacts that trauma and violence have, not just on people but on children. Um, you know, if you went back even five years ago, and someone was saying, well, a child was exposed to a, a, an incident of family violence, but there were only two. They go, oh, well, don't worry, they won't remember it then. Well, now we know that the brain is at its most elastic from zero to three. And so whilst they may not have a vivid um, recollection of the memory, their body remembers it. So they still have that, uh, there might be a trigger that causes that fight or flight mode. Yeah. So our um, understanding of... Um, and it's unfortunate when we talk about family violence, it is women that it impacts more. Um, it's not to say that men aren't impacted. There are violent women out there. and um, But we have a greater understanding of the long-term impacts of that on women and not just from an emotional, mental point of view, but financial as well. Yeah. So, no, it's evolved a lot. Um, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Live at Marder. Live from Mother Christie College in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Lexi and my co-hosts today are Amy, Divya and Alicia. And our special guest today is Lyndall. I was curious about if you've seen any major changes in legislation while working. Uh, the Family Law Act hasn't been varied much um, over the years. It's, a, it's probably a young act in that it wasn't um, brought into play until 1975. We've had some variations to the wording over the years. 
de facto relationships were included in the early 90s. In 2016, we saw a, a changing to the wording whereby uh, the court has to start from the presumption of shared care now and then work backwards, whereas before it started from not shared care and then worked towards whether that was an option. So they've reversed that onus um, a little bit, but other than that, no. Um, who, um, were you born with the traits you display, like determination, brave, bravery, or do you build these traits as you work through uh, the industry? I think it's a combination of them both. I think, um, I mean, I think the fact that I was wanting to be a, a federal police officer um, and joined and signed up the undergrad program shows that I had some of those traits, um, those passions. And, and in saying that, when I um, applied for AFP, I wanted to be in the family law team. Um, my passion was ensuring that children had a voice. That's one thing I was really um, quite passionate about from a very young age. And AFP then had a strong family law team. Um, they don't have that anymore. That was disbanded. Thank you, John Howard. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so it was sort of a natural flow for me to go into family law after having that. Um, so I think determination was always there. Uh, I think the ability to construct an argument was probably always there, if you ask my parents. Uh, being analytical was probably always there. My highest score in VCE was for legal studies and um, English Lit, so both analytical subjects. Uh, but I think those traits or skills get developed over time and you learn to become um, more resilient. You learn to uh, – you learn how to deliver the bad news and you learn how to compartmentalise. That is something that's really – I mentioned it before because it's really important, compartmentalising. But you learn how to deal with that and develop that over time. Yep. I hope that answers it. Yeah. So, hi, Lyndall. I'm Amy. Hi. So did you or any other person have doubts about um, that you could achieve this? No. No? No. Always had faith in yourself, always knew that this is what you could do and what you could handle? Well, because it was a journey. It was a journey for me. And so as time went on, I became more confident. And that's why I got promoted and got given opportunities because uh, I took initiative and was happy to take on more and more responsibility. And so with that experience came that confidence that I can do this and I can do the next step, okay, and then I can do the next step. Um, sure, there's some days when you finish in court and you go back to Chambers, you go, you know what, I think I'm just going to go do cake decorating. <laughs> I'm shit at this. <laughs> but you then realise that you're actually not that shit and you know what you're doing. It's a job with a lot of highs and it's a job with a lot of lows. Just takes a lot of life experience and yep. development. Yep. Yep. And you learn from your peers, from your seniors. Um, you know, the worst mistake juniors make is coming in thinking they know it all they very quickly learn that they don't. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that there was like a lot of like highs and lows to the job. What would you think would like be some of the positives? Uh, I've had some incredible opportunities to help people in terrible situations. Uh, one that stands out was a young girl who um, 
was of Iranian descent mm-hmm. and her family were wanting, in particular her, her father, were wanting to take her back to um, the Middle East um, to be married off for an arranged marriage and she didn't want that. And she just happened to mention it to a friend at school and the friend's mother worked for the um, department. Mm. And so this mother swung into action and so when they presented at Tullamarine, an alert went off when this girl's passport was presented mm. and she um, was uh, seized by the federal police and the family still elected to travel and she stayed here and she was put into foster care. That foster family, they tried to keep her in a family that had the same cultural values and in the same area where they previ- where she'd previously lived. Unfortunately, it turned out that family um, had some contact with the father still and a few years later they tried to take her out of the country for a holiday but, um, again, another kid in the family told someone else at school that, no, they were really going to meet up with this girl's father and she was going to um, be killed yep. as an honour killing. Mm. Um, for dishonouring, that brings shame to the family for um, not going with them for the arranged marriage. And so, again, AFP seized this girl and they assisted her to move out of the regional area that they were in and she moved down to metropolitan Melbourne. But she had two sisters over there mm-hmm. and one of them um, had some um, challenges in life and... This girl had found out that this sister was um, being sexually abused by an uncle at a a young age and not having a a very good life. That another sister and her other sister had been married off. So there must be there was sorry there was three sisters over there because one had been married off, one was being abused, and one somehow was flying under the radar a bit. And so we were trying to work out what we could do for these girls over there, as they were still Australian citizens, and. Every now and then my client would have contact through an email. So we were able to get a a judge to do an out-of-hours order. So we didn't want any um, attention being drawn to it. So we did an out-of-hours order giving this young girl was just 18, so technically an adult by then. So we got an order saying that she effectively had custody of her sisters and all she had to do was tell them was to get to the embassy. Well... They ran away, but um, the network there is different to here and very quickly and um, someone saw them and they were again seized on the street before they made it to the embassy. So this is a very long story. Their mother then got breast cancer and wanted to come back to Australia for treatment. So we're like, great. So then we got another order done so that... When they landed, and we we got managed to get to the sisters through an email um, saying, um, insist on coming to Australia with mum to have her treatment. Tell them that tell her that you're going to care for her, do whatever, just get on the plane mm-hmm. with her. And uh, they did. They got on the plane with their mum, and uh, when they arrived here in Melbourne, they were immediately seized and then placed in the care of my client with new identities and sent to school and. My client is just the most amazing young lady. She took herself back to school. She's done put herself through VCE whilst providing care to her two siblings now, one with some challenges. Yeah. So it was a really satisfying um, matter. That's one that, that stays with me for a very long time. And 
you know, that, and then you do it on an everyday basis. You help people um, move on with their lives and reestablish mm. themselves and help a lot of kids. I do some what's called independent children's lawyer work. So I act for the children and that's mm. always really satisfying to help kids out of situations that aren't ideal. Yeah. Um, how did you go about like taking on your first solo case rather than just sitting back watching in court actually being up there and doing it and can't remember. <laughs> it was so long ago. Um, I probably over-prepared for it. Yeah. Probably really, really over-prepared. Um, probably made arguments that now I look back and go, why did I argue about that? <laughs> it really wasn't important in the scheme of things. So, yeah, just probably over-prepared and just um, when you uh, join – does everyone understand the difference between a solicitor and a barrister? No. no. <laughs> okay. All right. So – a solicitor is who you see in the shopping centres with shop fronts and they advertise their solicitors. Mm-hmm. So to put it the best way, a solicitor will bake the cake. So they meet the client, they do the paperwork, they prepare the case, sometimes in consultation with us, mostly not, and then they give it to us to ice. Mm-hmm. So we get given the documents, the case, and we are then got to structure the arguments and present it. That's probably the best analogy I can come up with. So we ice it and present it, make it look all pretty and try and say this is, you know, our case is the best. Yep. So um, so when you go to the bar, which is being a barrister, you have to have a mentor and they have to agree to take you on. And so probably I probably annoyed my mentor a hell of a lot <laughs> leading into my first case, running everything past him. But uh, he's fantastic. He's still my mentor after 18 years. And uh, that's probably what I did, just probably overprepared and probably drove him nuts. Are you mentoring people yourself now? Yep. 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 So um, whilst I don't currently have a, a reader, which is a, a baby barrister, um, there are juniors on our floor. We've got at the moment about four juniors. And so um, there's an obligation on the seniors to mentor the juniors. Yep. yep. What type of preparation goes into, I guess, a legal suit? Before you go to court? Lots of reading, um, research, looking for cases to support your argument, precedence, but just lots of reading, a hell of a lot of reading. Yeah. Cross-referencing documents, looking at um, expert reports, looking at really boring things like bank statements if it's a a property matter, um, following the paper trail. So it's a bit forensic. Feel like a bit of a detective sometimes. Digging deep into everything. Yep. Yep. It's good fun. Um, is it hard to balance out your work life and home life or is there like just a complete detached? That's terribly hard. Married? It's yeah. terribly hard. Anyone that thinks it's easy is delusional. Um, it's really tough. It's um, I'm a single parent with two boys and my career is probably like the second per- the second adult in the house. Yeah. Um, my kids have had to hear a lot of the time, um, no, you can't have people over this weekend because I have to read, I have to do trial prep. No, we can't do that. I've got a trial on. Um, yeah, it is like a an extra person in the household and that person often takes precedent over everyone else. Is there anything that you can like not talk about like confidential and if so, is it hard to just kind of sit there and not say anything or...? Yeah, under Family Law Act, um, we're not allowed to talk about anything that can identify parties. Um, so you can't talk about their names, where they live, 
that sort of thing. But we're yep. talking in generals. Yeah, almost uh, in code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, this my client, yeah. that client, the husband, the wife, the children, the children are four and five. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you can't talk about anything that will identify parties. And sometimes that includes details of cases. I mean, there's some very um, infamous family law cases um, around. Um, most people would be aware of um, the West Cape Bridge one, the Freeman the matter. Everyone knows it's a Freeman matter, so that's not confidential. Um, but the people who were acting in it, um, you know, prior to the, the Westgate Bridge incident, um, you know, they were talking about it, about expert reports, but they couldn't talk about who it was. Yeah. It's only because something happened that everyone knows that one. But at the moment we've got some high-profile cases in our jurisdiction on Friday – there was two AFL footballers the week before. There was a whole trial for an AFL footballer and his ex-wife. So, you know, we see them all in there. They're not immune to coming to family court and having their dirty laundry aired. But, yeah, we can't identify them. Yeah. What made you want to do family um, court? Uh, I didn't like contract law. It was really boring, so it's taxation law. And... Very early on, um, I think even in my days here at Mater Christi, I became interested in children's rights because, again, I'm showing my age. Um, there used to be a cult here in the Danongs called The Family and the leader of that was a lady by the name of Anne Hamilton Byrne, I think it was, and it turned out that the photographer that was involved with her um, took all our Deb photos and anyone who was very blonde and blue-eyed got asked to come along on a Sunday to things that they were doing um, at the compound. And Anne Hamilton Byrne used to come through my register at Woolies every Saturday. Um, and so when she got raided and the department um, moved in and took all these children out, um, it sort of triggered an interest in me about how did this happen to these kids and who was their voice and, and just how did this happen in our own community and be unnoticed for a very long time. So that sort of triggered my interest and, like I said, I joined AFP with a view of wanting to go into the family law squad because they were like cult busters then <laughs> um, and so I wanted to do that. I was very keen to protect children and give children a voice and so I think family law was just a natural flow on from that. Yeah. The, clearly you love your job and there's so many positive outcomes, but how do you deal with the negative ones? Jin, um, <laughs> no, no, it's talking. It's talking. You have to talk to your peers. You have to talk to people um, who have been in the same area of law. Uh, a lot of our humour is very dark humour and if the general public heard some of the things that we laugh about, they'd be mortified but that's our way of getting through it. It's a bit like nurses. Nurses also tend to have the same humour, I find. Um, and, yeah, you just need to be able to talk and laugh about those things and that's why it's kept very in-house, um, what we talk about. Um, do you ever struggle with, like, say, like, talking to your peers compared to, like, keeping, like, things confidential? No, because with them we can be a bit looser. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they're not going to ask us questions like, who is it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we know our boundaries and we know what we can mm. talk about. And we also know that um, there's this thing called Chatham, Chatham House Rules. Mm. So when you're in chambers, anything spoken about can't be repeated outside. Yeah. 
So everyone abides by that because otherwise the system would fail. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you um, to our guest, Lyndall. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. No worries. Thank you for having me. Live from uh, Christie College in Melbourne, Australia, you have been listening to Be Like Her live on Live at Marta. My name is Lexi and my co-hosts today are Amy, Divya and Alicia. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Live from Mar Christie College in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her live on Live at Marta.